Okay, well, thank you. Uh, it's nice to be here um, and to talk about bats. Uh, I, I've liked bats for a very long time. This is a very brief um, overview of the bats that, that we have in Ireland. Um, it doesn't go into too much detail, so hopefully I'll keep it at, a, at a, an, even, an even level. So this is my little friend here. And I suppose a lot of people have ideas about bats that hopefully by the time we're finished that I'll be able to dispel. There's a lot of myths out there about bats. Also, um, people have this idea that when they think of bats, they think of this gentleman here. And I, I showed th this picture to children and they haven't a clue who Dracula is. Whereas if you show them this picture, they have a better idea. Uh, or even the other one, that, that the other vampires that we have going around the place. So Batman is, is, is definitely a more up-to-date version of vampires rather than Dracula. So what is a bat? We'll start off with this one. So this is our little friend here. As you can see, they're very small little creatures. Um, he's on somebody's fingers. The, they're mammals. They're the only mammal that has true flight, the only mammal that can actually fly. So when you hear somebody saying, but what about flying squirrels? They don't actually have wings. Flying squirrels have flaps of skin, whereas bats actually do have wings. Um, we have in Ireland nine species, which we'll, we'll have a look at in a little while. You can see by the, from the picture that they're all fur. They've got, most of them have black faces. Some of them have, their, their, the skin is a little bit lighter on their face. They're very furry. They are, um, you can see his little thumbs. They're his thumbs on, on the end of, the, of his arms, if you like, just like us, his elbows. And if you feel the skin on the back of your hand, that's what a bat wing feels like. It's very soft, it's very fine, it's very fine skin. They're very agile flyers, but very awkward when they're on the ground. So this fellow, don't know whether he actually fell out of his, his roost, probably not, but he landed somewhere that is a little bit awkward for him because when they come out of their roost, they, they usually fly immediately out of the roost. If they're in a roof space, an attic space maybe, they may have to land on the wall to get back into the roost, so they're going to land straight onto the wall. Whereas this fellow, he's having difficulty. He, they cannot walk very well. Very agile flyers, as I said, but they cannot walk very well. So a lot of people don't like them because of the look of them. Um, to me, bats are so cute. They're, they're very, very attractive little creatures. I just love them. Um, but a lot of people, because they're nighttime flyers, and they look like flying mice, and a lot of people don't like them because of that. Okay, so this is just some bats that we have in the world. This lovely man here in the middle, the long-eared bat, we do have him in Ireland. Um, his ears are exactly the same height or length as his body, so when he's asleep, those ears go down his back and cover his back, so it's like if he has a duvet on him. Um, these are known as the silent hunter because they have a very quiet, whispering noise that they make. This gentleman here is a Dawbenton's bat, and they're what I would call the water bat because they actually feed on the top of the water. Uh, we don't have too many of them out here in, in, in the park, unfortunately, but you will see them on large rivers and lakes, and they fly in a figure of eight, so they fly this way. And as they're flying, they're catching insects, fl flying insects. This gentleman here is a vampire bat. We don't have vampire bats in Ireland, but they do live in Central America, and you will find that they do live on blood, but they live on the blood of mammals, such as four-legged mammals, I should say. So they live on the blood of 
cattle, sheep, horses, llamas, alpacas, that type of thing, where they'll bite into the neck, they'll produce a little bit of blood. Ooh, we're going to have a problem now. But they produce a little bit of blood and they just lap on that little bit of blood. It does no harm to the, the animal at all. I can't find the cursor now, sorry. There we are, I don't know. Okay. Let's see, there we are. Um, so so they, they don't actually harm the animal that they're, they're feeding from. And this little fellow at the top, he's sitting on the top of somebody's thumb. He's the smallest bat in the world. He's called um, a bumblebee bat or a hog-nosed bat. And you find these bats in Thailand. There's, they're uh, the only place that you actually find them. So they are about the same size as our largest bumblebee. Okay, so that just gives you a little overview of some of the bats that, that we have all over the world. So all our bats, regardless of what country you live in, all bats are protected because they are the only mammal that has true flight. So in Ireland, they're protected under the Wildlife Act and the EU Habitats, Habitats Directive. Um, also the Berne Convention and the Bonn Convention. Now, these conventions would be to do with Europe. Uh, the Wildlife Act, of course, is Irish and the, ha the EU Habitats Directive is is European-wide, but they are protected all over the world because they are the only mammal that has true flight. So in Ireland, we have nine species of bat, definitely. Maybe ten, because a few years ago, a Brant's bat was found in Wicklow Mountains National Park. Now, unfortunately, it was actually dead, but they don't know how it got here, and it's the only record that we have of a Brant's bat. Brant's bat sorry. Um, we don't know whether we have greater horseshoe bats. There's one record. They haven't put it down as being a, a, a species yet, but it's possible. All bats um, are insectivorous or insectiferous. So nighttime flying insects, because they're nighttime creatures, midges. They absolutely adore midges. Every bat in Ireland will have a, a dinner of about three and a half thousand midges per night. So if you can imagine the amount of midges that we have in a small area like Connemara, if we have in or around, I don't know, two or three thousand bats. So there's, there's plenty of midges out there for the bats. They'll also eat caddisflies, daddy longlegs or crane flies and moths. They don't eat the wings of the moths, they just eat the bodies. The wings are too, the wings are made up of scales, so they're actually too chewy, they can't actually chew them. So the largest bat we have is the Leisler's bat, weighs about 20 grams, which is less than a packet of potato. A packet of potato is about 30 grams. When they're flying, their wings are about this, they're about 30 centimetres. The smallest bat then is the Pipistrelle, and five to six grams, so if you consider a packet of potato, you'll need five pipistrels in a bag to weigh the same as a packet of potato. So that's how light they are. And when their wings are open, they're about this size. Okay, so bat myths dispel some of these. Bloodsuckers. The bats we have in Ireland are not bloodsuckers. Okay, we do have the vampire bat, but he's not in Ireland. He lives on the blood of other animals, as I said earlier. So they're, they're not bloodsuckers. Spread disease. Our bats in Ireland are disease-free. We have no rabies in Ireland. Bats do carry rabies, but we have no rabies in Ireland. So all the bats we have in Ireland, as far as we know, are disease-free. Hair lovers. They do not like your hair. Um, I would guess children saying to me, but you can't go out on a, at night because the bats will get knotted in your hair and you'll be screaming. And I say, no, you won't, because they won't go into your hair. Um, 
and they, they use a echolocation to find their food. So echolocation is sound waves. So when they're out buzzing around, and the, the, the pipistrels, for instance, fly very, very quickly, and when they send out these sound waves, and um, something bounce, a sound wave will bounce back at them, and I'll show you a picture of this later on, if a, if a small sound wave bounces back, they know it's something small that's in front of them. But if a huge sound wave bounces back at them, they know it's something very large out there. So they fly over the top of your head. So they will not go into your hair. Home wreckers. They're not home wreckers because if they come into your, your attic space or into a shed, they don't bring in nesting material. They don't chew through cables or wood. Um, and they're just literally in your attic space and you may not even know they're there. They're quiet little things. They don't do any damage. The only damage you might discover after maybe 10 or 15 years is that there might be a little stain on your ceiling. And that's because of their uh, guano, which is their poo, if you like. Um, and that's the only reason you might realize you have bats in your house. Blind is a bat. Bats are not blind. They have really good eyesight, but they use echolocation to find their food. So again, it's another myth. And flying rodents, they are not a rodent. Rodents are rats and mice and guinea pigs and gerbils and squirrels. They're not a rodent. So they are not a flying mouse. So. Mice or man. Here we have a nice picture of our bat with, it, with his wings wide open. And you can actually see his fingers in his wings because they're attached to his, the side of his body and his fingers. They are called his fingers in, in his wings here. So when you look at the skeleton of a bat, he's more closely related to us than he is to a mouse. So you can see that he's got his thumb and his fingers, he's got wrists, he's got uh, ribs and arms and elbows and ankles and feet, very like us. So he has a very, very similar body to us humans, if you like. So he's absolutely no connection with mice. And as I said earlier, the wings are very, they're paper thin and they feel just like the skin on the back of your hand. Okay, so bats need certain things to survive, to be able to, to carry on. And they need a safe place to have their, their babies. And their babies are called pups. So they have one pup every year. Female will have one pup every year. And it's usually around June, the end of May, beginning of June, they'll have their babies. Um, they also need somewhere to sleep for the winter. So they need a winter roost and a summer roost. So their, their summer roost is usually called a nursery roost. And that's where the, 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 they will have their young. And they'll usually come out of their summer roost, their nursery roost, and they'll find somewhere else to hibernate in the winter. So it'll, it'll be somewhere a little bit colder. They need food, of course. Lots of midges out there. Plenty of food for them. So when they're, when they're breeding, they mate in autumn. And they, when they hibernate, of course, everything slows down, so nothing happens after they've mated until the following spring when they wake up. So it's, it's quite uh, a slow process for them. So they're, they're not rodents, so they don't produce a lot of litters in a year, they just produce one. And in spring, the females will, will choose their nursery roost, which could be your attic space, it could be a shed, um, it could be a barn, as somewhere that they feel is very safe. Sometimes you'll have pipistrels in trees, but they won't choose a tree as, an, as a roost because it's just too open, too open for them. And of course, they don't make nests, so they could just be 
hanging around, literally, um, are, and normally in a nursery roost, you could have 10 females, which means you'll have 10 pups. You could have 500 females, which means you'll have 500 pups. So you'll have a lot of bats in, in one place. And they're independent after six to seven weeks. Be and of course, because they're mammals, the females feed them themselves. Um, and um, after the six or seven weeks, they will actually come out at night with the females and they're, they're well able to look after themselves at that stage. Yes? No, they're on their own. Um, the, the females are the only ones who, who look after the young. So as soon as the females and males have mated, that's it. The males disappear and the females disappear. And the only time they're together is when they mate. So the, the, the males have nothing to do with the rearing of, of the pup. So these are quite old-fashioned houses. Um, but there's a, there's a number of places where bats can actually get in. And bats are tiny. And I actually have a couple of bats. I'm going to show them to you. Bats are so small. And they're, 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 they get into the tiniest little hole. They flatten themselves to get in. So there's a number of places in this picture where a bat will get in very, very easily. They'll get in under the fascia board. Now, they won't get into your rooms, of course, but they will live in the gap in the fascia board. They'll be very happy to live in there. And if there's a tiny crack or a little chip in the fascia board, they'll squeeze themselves. You're at your roof space. They'll get in under a tile. And again, they're not going to get into your house, but they, they will actually get into your attic space. So if there's a tile broken on your roof, they'll squeeze themselves in there. This is wooden. This is a wooden area. So if there's a, if there's a, a bit of dry rot or any, any type of rot in the wooded area or there's a crack in it, again, they'll put themselves in there. And they live between the wood and the wall. So they live in the space between the two. Under the windowsill. Sometimes you get gaps under windowsills. And again, they'll be living in the space between the wood and the wall. So this is what a small little roost looks like. Um, usually the first one in gets the cosy corner. And bats, we only have two bats in Ireland that actually hang upside down. And that's the long-eared bat and the lesser horseshoe bat. The others all just down, stuck together. And they create quite a lot of heat. Um, in some cases, the roost can be quite small in size. So they will have to take turns to warm up their bodies before they go out flying. Um, because you couldn't have them all flying around in different directions. And there may only be one entrance out of, out of the, the, the roost, so they will take turns to actually go out. Um, just before dark, when it, get, before it gets, I suppose when it's still quite light, lesser, not, sorry, not lesser horseshoes, um, brown long-eared bats, they emerge first. And they emerge over the top of the grass. They'll actually feed from the top of your grass. Um, the likes of pipistrels, they will come out just as it's getting dark and they move very quickly around the place but the, the um, long-eared bat is quite slow at, at moving, just warming himself up. Now this is a nursery roost and everything is very close together. If you have, let's say, 50 females, you're going to have 50 babies or 50 pups. And a pup and a mom will always know their sibling, their, not their sibling, they'll always know their mom or their baby. They never get them mixed up. How? If there's 50 of them in, in a roost, I'll never know. Um, but it's a very warm place, especially if it's, if, it, if it's a confined space. You could have anything up to 500 bats in a roost, a nursery roost, which I suppose is quite a lot. Um, and if you're not very happy about them being in your house or in your, your attic space, you can't just go in with the bag and put them all into the bag and bring them out. 
you have to actually get permission because they're protected by law you're not allowed or I should say it's against the law to actually um, upset a roost it's against the law to go in and take photographs of them because you, you could um, upset the, the young so you have to get permission to move the bats and normally what happens is when you go to National Parks and Wildlife, you would come to the ranger here, or you might um, contact uh, Bat Conservation Ireland. They will give you information. Normally what happens is the nursery roosts are only used in the summer. So when all the bats clear out, at the, uh, usually at this time of the year, end, end of August, um, if you see where they're coming out, you just block up that hole, and then they can't get back in next year. So you're not actually physically picking them up and moving them. Some people don't realise they bats maybe until they go and do some work on their house. Maybe they're putting on an extension and they have to do bits to their roof and that's when they realise all oh, the bats in there. So all the work has to stop. So they, they, they have to wait and get permission to carry on with, with any work. So the nursery roosts can be small and they can be very, very large. They're normally in an attic space, certainly for the pipistrels they're normally in an attic space, um, maybe um, in an old shed, but they're going to be somewhere that's very safe and secure for the bats themselves. Now, these little fellows, they're slightly bigger than pipistrels. These are fruit bats, and they are baby fruit bats that have been orphaned. Um, they're, their moms, uh, they were, there was a, uh, a fire, it was very similar to what's going on in Brazil at the moment, in Australia, and a number of the adults, the females, died. So the babies were taken into a rescue centre, and they were looked after. So some of them had their dodies to keep them quiet. Um, they're very cute. Well, I think they're very cute. They're also very large. So uh, a baby fruit bat is about this size, compared to our pipistrelle, which is about this size. So um, these are the adults. These hang upside down. Of course, they eat, they eat fruit. Their wingspan is about one and a half meters. Um, and they're also called flying foxes. They do have a very foxy face. And the adults are about this size. So they are large bats. They're the, the largest bat in the world. Um, unfortunately, we don't have them here. I think it would be fabulous to have them here, but it's not, it's not warm enough for them. But you can actually see their fingers and you can see their elbows and you, you can see their thumbs at, at the end of their... Of their wrists if you like. Um, so it's a pretty good photograph of how of, of the actual shape of a bat. So hibernation. Bats hibernate every year when there's no food. There's no food for them October, November, certainly into December, um, and they hibernate for, for a number of months. Shortage of food. Now we've had very mild winters for the last few years. So th bats and hedgehogs, they have actually not gone into hibernation until mid-December for the last couple of years because there's food around for them, so they won't hibernate un until the food is, has disappeared, if you like. Um, so they should hibernate really from the beginning of November until probably the end of February, middle of March, but their hibernation period has been lessened because of the mild winters. So they don't hibernate for you know, maybe mid-December. They have complex body changes when they hibernate. Their, their heart rate goes right down. Um, the, that, of course, stops the, the, the blood supply running around their, their body. Um, they become quite uh, they're cool. They, they, I think their, their core temperature is about 4 degrees, so it's quite cool, considering being mammals, they probably need to be about 37, 36, 37 degrees. Um, 
body temperature is lower, their heartbeat is lowered, their blood flow is reduced, and their breathing, of, of course, will become erratic because of all these changes. And they're very vulnerable to disturbance. So if you have a winter roost and you go in, it could be in a shed, and you're in and out of the shed constantly, and these little creatures are... are um, hibernating because they actually will go into a steel shed a shed that has steel sides and a steel roof rather than a wooden shed because the wood will create heat where a steel shed is very cold in the winter so they'd be quite they'd be happier to, to actually hibernate in there but if you're in and out all the time and banging around and all the rest of it um, they will they, they will wake up they will wake up. Now, some bat species will actually wake up during their hibernation period and go to the toilet. They, they actually get rid of all the toxins out of their body and then they go back asleep again. Um, it's unusual to see a bat out during the day or any nocturnal animal out during the day and it usually means there's a problem. Uh, they're sick, there's something wrong with them if they're out during the day. So if you see a bat around, I don't know, the middle of January and he's flying around your garden in the middle of the day, there's definitely something wrong with him. Um, and he, he shouldn't be awake at that stage and um, he, he, there's, there's some sort of health problem with him. So when they hibernate, you might have them hibernating down in suit terrains. This is a suit terrain down here, it's an, an underground um, cave. This fellow at the top, you see he's quite icy, so where he is, it's a very cold place, and of course his body temperature has come right down. Sometimes they hibernate in, in, in bridges. They'll actually get into holes in walls and holes in bridges. The likes of the Daubenton's bat, because they're a water bat, they will actually get, get into holes in, in bridges. Um, and anywhere that might have, if you have an old stone house, for instance, you might actually have bats hibernating in the walls of old stone houses because they, they can actually get in. As I said, they can, they can squeeze into really, really small places. Okay, so feeding. I mentioned about echolocation there a little while ago. Um, you can see this fellow here, he has a, a nice moth of some description and he'll eat the body of the moth. They have very sharp teeth, they're like little needles, so they can actually chew very well on, on the body of the moth, but they don't eat the wings. If you, you might come across an area, um, it, it might be around an old house and you just see a whole load of, of moth wings, it's a, it's a good indication that there's bats feeding in that area because they've eaten the bodies and they've left the wings. Um, this is what they like to eat, midges, moths, beetles, caddisflies, anything that flies. Earwigs and spiders don't fly but we have the long-eared bat who grazes on the top of, top of your grass so he's, he's going to be looking for earwigs and spiders. So they are insectivores. Feeding areas. Um, some bats will have a, a funny way of feeding, if you like. Some of them feed in a straight line. Some of them zigzag. So you would have the likes of pipistrels quite low. They would go and they move quite quickly through the, the vegetation. You would have lyslers going at the higher end of the vegetation. So they, they will all have their own little area. Of, of, and sometimes the areas do cross over um, but you, the, I say the Leislers prefer the top end of the vegetation, the top of the trees the pips lower down and the, the Dobentons bat on the top of the water so he, sometimes they catch in their feet and sometimes, sometimes they'll, they'll catch the insect straight into their mouth 
So they're, where do they eat? Where to eat? So you, you will find them in lots of places. You'll find them in your garden. I know I have them in my garden. You'll find them anywhere there's trees. You, you will find them in wetlands. So you, you'll find them around ponds, um, rivers, lakes, and of course hedgerows. And that's why our hedgerows are pretty important, not only for our everyday pollinators and our everyday little creatures, but for our bats, because there's lots of food there for them. Um, bats normally in the gardens, they're going to be the pipistrels, they're the, 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 the most common one, and they're normally what you find in people's gardens. So we have seeing with sound, this, this is our um, echolocation. So when a bat is out and about, and we can't hear the sounds that the bat makes. And I, I have a CD there, I'm going to let you hear what the sounds they make um, because it's very high pitched and you need a bat detector to be able to hear what the, what the bats sound like. And a bat detector, when we go out, hopefully we'll, we'll find some. Bat detector is this little thing here. And it's worked on frequencies, megahertz. And every bat has a different frequency. Some bats, are very, the frequency is very high and some is about 37, 38 it could be. Um, but that's the only way you're going to be able to hear what a bat sounds, sounds like, unless you're a child under four years of age. And because their hearing is quite sensitive, usually they can hear them without the bat detectors. So the, the children are, are quite, quite um, sensitive. So what the bat does, he sends out these sound waves in front of him as he's flying around. And when the sound wave bounces off something, it comes back to him. So he knows the distance where the food is and how big it is. And that's why he won't get into your hair, because a large sound wave is going to come back after he bounces off you to the bat. And the bat is going to go, whoa, no, I'm not going to go near that. It's huge over the top of your head. Um, so echolocation, of course, dolphins as well use echolocation. So this is our silent hunter. This is the brown long-eared bat. Um, and as I said, he, he's, he's, he's very quiet, whispery little sounds. And his ears are the same length as his body. So threats to bats. The loss of their home, as I was saying earlier about nursery roosts, could actually, could actually be in your attic space and you may not be too happy about having them there, so you can actually block up the holes when, when they've left. Um, one of the ma major threats is the renovation work to houses and bridges. A lot of, because of, uh, the, some of the, of the Dobenton's bats would have their homes and the bridges, and you have the county council coming along, and they're blocking up all the holes, and they're making it nice and straight, but unfortunately, they're actually keeping the bats out of their homes. Um, deliberate exclusion. It, deliberate exclusion is where you might block up the holes and not let them back into your attic after the, the babies have left, after the, the females have left. If you're doing a job on your attic space or your roof and you're using certain chemicals that might be very toxic, um, that will also, it'll kill the bats basically. Um, it, not necessarily only on your roof, but if you're using them, using the, the chemicals, that the, the timber treatment chemicals outside, maybe in a barn or in a shed, it, it will also have this, the same problem for the bats. They, they like cellars and the likes of the lesser horseshoe bat absolutely love cellars and we have so few cellars nowadays. We have very few places that the lesser horseshoe can actually, can actually find to, to, to live, um, but they're, they're doing a little bit about that. Blocking mine entrances, there's a few mine en mines around the place, there's some in, in, in Mam, some in Cornamona, um, 
th those mines that are over there have actually have grids on them so the bats are able to actually get in and out but some mines would actually be, be, be totally blocked off destruction of souterrains so you have the souterrains which are which are underground and you and the thing about the souterrains is that they're probably on private property they might be on farmland and the farmer could just want to keep his cattle or his sheep out of the souterrains so he blocks it up so it's, it's a bit unfortunate for, for the bats. And cutting down old trees, bats do live in trees and they will, the, the males will roost in the trees in the summer. Um, so they are important, no more than for the barn owls as, as for the bats. Okay, so the loss also of their feeding areas and food. Um, again, we were talking about the hedgerows there. Hedgerows are so important. And if you get rid of your hedgerow out of a field, you're going to, we're, we're, the, the, the animals and insects that depend on that hedgerow are going to have problems. So you have the removal of hedgerows, spraying of pesticides, that's a major one. It's a major one for all our pollinators as well. So the less pesticides we use, the better. Road building and development. There's, there was, there's been a lot of, I suppose, talk about um, overpasses and underpasses for, for main roads for hedgehogs and badgers and bats and all sorts of things. Um, but it's important. A lot of people say that it costs too much money and they should just build the road. But if the bats have been using a certain area for feeding on, going backwards and forwards for many years, they will actually be very disorientated if their feeding path, if you like, is built on. And so it is, it is a, a serious threat to them. And drainage schemes because they're, you're digging and you're, you're changing the landscape, it, it's a problem for them also. Okay, so what do you think might eat a bat? What's the biggest predator of bats in Ireland? Anybody, any idea? No, something a little closer to home. Well, that's one, but he's not the biggest predator. That's the biggest predator. Yeah, your cat. So, if you have a cat, keep them in until it gets dark because the bats come out, especially the long-eared bats, they're coming out just as it's getting dark and they feed low to the ground. I have a cat at home and he's very good at catching bats, unfortunately. Um, yes, so they are the biggest predator of bats. So keep the, the cat in until it's totally dark and then all the bats are out at that stage. Um, next one is this lad. Owls. This is a long-eared owl, but owls are a major predator because they're nighttime flyers. So rats, mice, and bats are a staple for, for owls. And also this owl. This is a sparrowhawk. And sparrowhawks don't go to bed very early. They're out until it gets dark, basically. They normally take garden birds straight from, from, from bird feeders and from bird tables, but they will actually predate bats as well. So they are three of the main things that actually eat bats. Um, this is the bat house and we have some outside, I'll, I'll show you them when we go out. And it, it's a way of encouraging bats to, to come in and what, it's something that we can do. We can have um, bat, bat houses in our, in our gardens. If they're in your attic space or in your shed, you can leave them alone and let them stay. You can introduce new areas and protect those new areas and the bat boxes would be, would be one of those new areas if you like. The bat boxes 
sometimes they're they're made from wood most you could make one yourself um, and sometimes they're made from it's like a cement but it has a grip on it so that they, they can actually hang, go into it and you could go on a bat watch now a bat watch is we're, we're going to go on on a bit of a bat watch now later on um, living with bats if you're if you're if they're in your attic space cover your water tank um, they're not really good swimmers so if you have them in, in your attic space, just cover your water tank so you don't go up there someday and discover four or five dead bats in it. And it wouldn't, wouldn't be very good for, for, for your water. Um, put polystyrene sheet on the floor of your attic because that will collect the guano, the manure, basically. And it's very good for your garden. It's really good fertilizer. So collect it and put it into the garden. Um, it, it, it doesn't build up very quickly because they are very small creatures so you wouldn't have to change the polystyrene sheet for maybe two or three years maybe even four years depending on how many bats you have in, in the attic space um, make sure your attic door is not left open because they might come visiting um, that's not a problem for a lot of people but e, as I said earlier the smallest little hole and if, you're, if your attic door is open the tiniest little bit they will come down um, if you have a problem with living with bats, you can ring the bat, the bat line. Um, so that's National Parks and Wildlife Helpline. And there's the, even if you were to come here to the National Park and talk to the ranger, the ranger will actually tell you and help you. And, and also Bat Conservation Ireland is very good. Introducing feeding areas in your garden for, for bats. Flowers with long, narrow tubes, petal tubes, they're, they're good for the, for, the, for the bats because the moths like them. The moths will feed on evening primrose and honeysuckle. They, their moths, of course, are similar to butterflies, so they have a proboscis. They land on the plant. The proboscis goes down into the honeysuckle and they suck up the nectar. But because you have those plants in your garden, you're going to attract the moths in, but also the bats for feeding. Um, anything that produces a fairly basic flower um, on your vegetables or on your trees is very good for them again because you're introducing you're, you're bringing the insects into the garden and that's what the bats need to live on you could create a wet area like a, like a small pond but you might want to make it a decent sized pond um, to attract dobentons in but that will take quite a while for them to, to realise that it might be there and don't use insecticide, insecticides or pesticides um, encourage natural predators onto your, uh, your plants such as if you have a problem with green fly if you can get hold of ladybirds they absolutely adore them um, so they're, they're, they're natural, natural predators and watch the cat again as I said earlier keep the cat in until it gets dark okay, so building a bat box keep it well insulated without any drafts and seal every joint because you only want you know, one place where the, where the bat can come in and usually it's down, it's down the bottom um, rough untreated wood is very good so be, because it's rough they have, they have grip and they'll be able to grip on, onto the actual um, platform if you like and onto the inside of the box and as I said because they don't make nests there doesn't have to be too much of a floor in it um, the, the bat ladder or the landing area if you have a bat box here and the landing area is usually down here and the split is here so they land on this area and they crawl up into the bat box um, the entry slit and if you're going bat watching if you're re being really serious about it you would record it record everything that you, that you, you hear uh, on, on your 
this is a MIDI disc, this is what, what they would have used quite a while ago, and it's all connected into a special bat detector, um, and you would then listen back on, to it, and you'd, you're, you're able to tell, to differentiate the sounds. If you're going counting at a roost, um, you might, it might be a roost that might have five or six hundred bats in it, and you, there's no way you're going to be able to stand and count all those bats coming out, especially if there's two or three entrances. So we would use one of these. This is just a bat counter. And every time you see a bat, you just click the button and it, uh, it counts the bats for you, basically. So you're standing there and you're looking, and you're not counting, you're just looking what's coming out. And every time you see a bat, you actually click it. A torch, of course, as well. Usually a head torch because you usually go bat watching at night when it's dark. And the head torch is important. So your bat torch is important, and also midge spray, midge repellent. Uh, Fortunately, we've none with us tonight, but if they're very bad, and because you're, if you're looking at bats, you could be out at 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning or whatever, so the midges could, could be pretty bad at that stage. Warm summer evenings, we haven't had too many of them this year. Uh, best just to go out as it's getting dark. That's the best time to see them. Um, good, choose a good spot for in insects. Normally when we're finished the bat talk here, there's a couple flying around, so maybe that's a good indicator of all the midges out there. Um, lake or woodland edge, so we have a little bit of both here, uh, which is good. A bridge is a really good place with, with good vegetation on, on, on the sides of it, uh, and you, you're, you'll, ha you'll get quite a lot of activity on that. Then they say the lyslers fly high and straight above the trees, and the pipistrels, they twist and turn. Okay. And the dobentons are over the, the actual surface of the water. Okay, so what do you do, or what would you do if a bat came into your house? If you had your, your sitting room window open, say, tomorrow evening, it's a nice evening, and you have the, the window open, and you're out of the room, and you go into the room, and it's, you're going to put on the light, and all of a sudden this thing comes at you. What do you think you should do? Don't do what they did on YouTube and get a tennis racket. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't panic the first thing to do. These little creatures are coming into an area that's full of clutter and your curtains, your lampshades, your, your bookcase, your paintings on the wall, your pictures, they're all clutter to the bat. So he's, he doesn't know where he is, he's terrified. Um, don't chase him. Come out of the room, as you said, come out of the room and let him settle. That's the best thing you can do because he, if he can't find his way out, he will eventually grab onto the curtains or grab onto a cushion and he'll just go sleep. Then you'll be able to pick him up. You can use gloves, put on your, 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 your rubber gloves, your marigolds, use a towel or a cloth and gently put it over the bat. Now, you could leave him there all night and he's not going to do anything. Um, and you, or you could, if, if, you, if you find the bat maybe first thing in the morning, you could put him into a little box and he'd be fine during the day. You then carry him outside as, it gets, as, as it's getting dark in, his, in the box and put him on a wall or a tree, not too, not too far up, and watch him because he will take a little while to wake up and to regain flight and also watch him if you have a cat because he'll just be sitting on the wall basically or on the tree and if the cat will come along just give him a swipe and that'll be the end of your, end, end of your bat. So the lesser horseshoe bat is what I call the West of Ireland bat. He, he lives mostly, mostly found in Galway, Cork and Kerry but there was a record of a lesser horseshoe in County Tipperary this year and the lesser horseshoe 
is one of the few bats that hangs upside down. He's about this size. He's small. Um, you can see he's got lovely little, little toes there. And when he's warming himself up, his, he opens his wings and closes his wings so you can just see his little face and he's just moving them like that he's heating up the muscles so it's like before you go on a run you're stretching and you're, and you're, and you're heating up your muscles these fellows will live in caves in souterrains but the Vincent Wildlife Trust here in Ireland have actually bought two houses for the lesser horseshoe bat uh, one is in um, down near Cool Park and the other one is up near Moor Hall in County Mayo now, um, they have bought these houses because these were roosts for, for, for these um, lesser horseshoe and the houses weren't lived in, they were old and they, they were quite good roosts. So what they did was they basically bought the two houses, boarded them up, boarded up the window so nobody could get in. Uh, they have a lock on the front door. Now they do have, the windows are not fully boarded so there's a slight gap where they can fly in and out and they need to actually to be able to fly straight out so they hang upside down and then when they when they drop they fly straight out so there's a couple of openings in each in, in the houses and it's normally in the windows um, but you cannot gain access to the, the house itself because there's grids also on, on the windows as well to keep to keep anybody out or any cats or anything like that out um, so we have two houses for lesser horseshoe bats here in, in the west of Ireland um, He's called a lesser horseshoe, and you can see here it, he's on a piece of string, um, and he's called a lesser horseshoe because of the shape of his nose. Now, the lesser horseshoe is the only bat that makes the noise that he makes through his nose. All the others actually do it through their mouth. But this fellow makes the noise through his nose. So his nose is actually shaped a bit like a horseshoe, and that's where the lesser horseshoe comes from. The greater horseshoe we don't have, we, I say we have one record in Ireland, but we're, we're, not, we're not saying we have them. Um, so he's a small little bat, and um, his, his nose is quite interesting, I suppose you, you could say. Um, now I'll just show you a couple of the, the bats that I have, um, and then I'll let you hear, these are dead I'm afraid, I let you hear some bat sounds. I pass them around. Um, this little fellow here has a bit of a story behind him. As you can see he's quite flat and I got a phone call from a school down in South Connemara, Cattle School, um, to say that they had a dead bat in the school and would I like it? And I said I would. So I went down and this is what I was given. And what happened to this fellow was that they had bats in the attic space of the school. And during the summer holidays, he got out of the attic space and into one of the classrooms. And of course, he couldn't get out. There was no way for him to get out. So when they were going through a box of books, they found him. That's why he's a bit flat, because the books fell on top of him. Um, but he's still very, very soft. He has his nice little fur. Uh, his wings are very paper-like now. You wouldn't be able to open his wings. They're very, very paper-like because he's totally dried out. He still has all his internal organs. He's not like a taxidermied animal. He still has everything intact, the same as the, the other ones I have here. Um, but you can see his little thumb, and you can see his elbow, and you can see his, his little feet and things like that. So I'll pass him around. Do you want to look at him now? So you can see his little teeth. Oh yeah, yeah. My goodness. And you can see his elbows. Just, do you want to take him, take him down? And these two, these are two pips that were in my office. We have pipistrels in the office space over, over beyond. I found him in my office and I, I had been giving him water, giving him a little drink of water and I was hoping that he was going to be alright. Um, but he just 
nothing. He wasn't doing anything. So what so. is the normal lifespan? of a bat? 15 to 20 years usually, that's what they say. Now it could be 7, 8 but they say yeah. 15 to 20 years and there are about 1200 species of bat worldwide. Okay. So we only have 9 here in Ireland but, and, and England has about 30. Mm-hmm. So you can, they're, they are very soft. Their fur is still very soft. Are the males and females much different in size? No, no, they're they're more or less the same size. <laughs> yeah. Do they do the males then stay together when they roost, or are they kind of solitary? No, they stay together when they roost. Yeah, yeah. So they ha- they would have separate roosts, but the you know. And they're the same. What is different Well, it, this fella, I, he's this is a pipster. Mm. This fella, I'm not quite sure because he has a different shaped head, and I need to go. And I, I was given him. This fellow was in my office. So I was given him. Somebody found him dead. Yeah, so his head is. How long do you live? Between 15 and 20 years. That's amazing. Maybe 7, 8, but they normally say 15 to 20 years. Yeah. So, and, you know, they're, they're a very small little creature. Yeah, they are. People have ideas that they're huge. Now, I'll just let you hear um, what a pipistrelle sounds like. And hopefully you will be able to hear it. I'll put it up as high as I possibly can. So the loud noise is when they're feeding. So this is what they call a feeding frenzy. And as I say to the kids, it's like blowing a raspberry only. I get different things told to me what it is. Um, but the, the loud noise is when they catch something. And they're, they're, they're eating all the time with that. So they're, they're, it's popping sounds, really, I suppose. No, that's one bat. One bat? That's one bat. Yeah. The number of bats, is, is it in decline and if so, to what extent? No, it's fairly good. They're, they're, they seem to be holding their own. Now, if we have a problem with insects, then we might have a problem with our bats. But at the moment, they seem to be, they seem to be okay. Um, now, this next one is, I'll do the Darbentons next for you. Um, just give you a better idea of the different sounds. So this is the fellow that likes to go along the water. So it's a much higher sound. And again, we wouldn't be able to hear that, but hopefully we'll hear something on the detectors later on. And again, that's one bat. Very, very hungry. Those two make the noises through their mouth. So this fellow now, the lesser horseshoe, He's the fellow who makes it through his nose, so the, na- the sound is quite different. <laughs> so 
So that the, the lesser horseshoe, you would need to have your, your frequency up at, I think it's about 110 megahertz, compared to a pipistrelle, which is at about 30, 35 to 45, anything in, in, in around that. So the, the, the frequency, is, it, it all depends on the, on the actual bat themselves. Has anybody any questions? If a pup is born, how quickly are they ready to reproduce? They're independent after six to seven weeks, right. and um, they will mate in the autumn, but nothing actually happens until the following spring. So it's 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 like a um, it, it's it's delayed fertilisation. Okay. So they will actually be fertilised. The females be, would be fertilised in that autumn, but it would be the following summer before before they'll actually produce. So in springtime, that's when the body once they come out of hibernation, things start to happen inside. But in the first year. Yeah. And then, are they monogamous? No. No, they don't mate for life. They're, they're, it's because the, the, the males and the females are separate all the time, apart from when they mate in the autumn, that that would be the only time that they, they, they'd have any contact with each other. And do they have a ritual for mating? Not as far as I know. And that's not to say they don't, but as far as I know, they don't. I have, haven't heard of any. And do you feed all for the night, or is it more the dusk area? No, they will feed nearly all through the night. Oh, okay. Yeah. So as I was, I said at the beginning, one pipistrelle or one bat will eat about three and a half thousand midges per night, and that's just the midges, the little small little flies that there's lots of them out here at the moment. Um, and they will also eat uh, crane flies and um, moths. But so they they are constantly eating. Well, because of I suppose the speed that the pipistrelles are moving at, they're using an awful lot of energy, so they have to keep keep eating and they will go back in, into their roost just as it's getting bright so in, in, in high summer you're talking about them coming out at about between 10 and 11 o'clock at night and going back into their roost between 5 and 6 in the morning that would be the, the, around about the, the actual times and a lot of roost counts happen when they're going back into the roost as well as emerging from the roost so you, you would have bat workers who, who will work from say um, 10 until 12 or 10 until 1 o'clock in the morning and they'll go to bed for a few hours and they're back at the roost again at, a, at about half 5 or even half 4, half 5 to count. Why are they susceptible to rabies? I suppose maybe it's just because they're a mammal and sometimes mammals on, in European countries would have rabies like dogs and things like that you know and I think that that's possibly why I'm not 100% sure why that they would be susceptible to it and of course, because no dog in Ireland has rabies, bats don't have the rabies either at the moment. Mm. <laughs> Thank you.